The beach it came from probably does not exist anymore. It was white sand. This is yellow. It holds more moisture for longer. My toes are cold. Across the sand pit in thirty years' distance near enough, I spy the infant Gonzo. He has taken possession of a rough circle about twice his own height and diameter. He has rolled around on it to make it flat, then carefully and meticulously smoothed the dimples made by his protruding joints with his flat-soled shoes. The arena is ready. Missing, however, is an opponent. In the sand, Gonzo can draw his battalions and sculpt the terrain. He can render the world exactly the way he wants it. What he cannot do is replace the missing element. His shoulders droop, and he lets his face fall into shadow. Older brothers are supposed to be immune to accident. They had the news two weeks ago, and the funeral on Friday. Marcus Lubitsch is dead, gone for a soldier, killed in a dry country. Laid to rest half a mile away with honors and the acrid smell of gunpowder, as his friends sent him on his road. The smoke made Gonzo's eyes water, and the bang made him flinch, for which he feels guilty. Marcus did not flinch at anything, not even the shot which killed him. Some part of Gonzo still feels that if he had just been nicer to him, Marcus might have come back alive. Instead of dead, he tried to say this to his mother on Wednesday afternoon, and she shouted at him to be quiet, and then apologized, something she has never done before, and wrapped him in enormous arms and shuddered all around him. Gonzo's tears disappeared entirely in his mother's tidal wave, his hugest howlings dwarfed by hers. Marcus Maximus Lubitsch, Earthbound God. Companion, gap in the landscape. Gonzo's instinct is to recreate him. In his mind, he carries Marcus and all the things they have done together. He can still hear his brother's voice, knows roughly what Marcus would say and do in any given interaction. So he can still play with Marcus, even though he knows he will never play with Marcus again. He can share his bereavement with Marcus. Hear his brother's voice telling him it will all be all right soon. Taste the blandishing ice cream of sibling bribery. This is what he wants to do, desperately. But Gonzo, at the same time, has begun to appreciate that there are things in the world other than himself. He senses that continuing to play with Marcus is somehow wrong. When his brother was put in the ground. Certain things became not right, which had always been perfectly okay till then. For example, on the day before the news came, Gonzo had a tea party whose attendees included two aliens, a talking mouse named Clarissa, Marcus in his tank. All soldiers have tanks and drive them everywhere they go, and three former kings of Scotland in various states of decapitation. There was nothing odd or unsuitable about this. His mother provided cake for all of them, but insisted that the mouse, the aliens, and the kings have magic, invisible cake, and that Gonzo and Marcus share one tangible slice between two. 
In the event, Marcus pronounced himself not hungry, so Gonzo ate the whole piece. After the news, though, this wasn't possible anymore. Marcus was perfectly able to be in several places at once before he died, but it is somehow part of the process of his dying that this is no longer the case. Gonzo, lacking the words to express his understanding, believes this is because Marcus, alive, could be brought up to speed when he came home on what he and Gonzo had been doing while he was away. Marcus, dead, is complete and unalterable. He will never recover these absentee experiences. They are therefore some kind of theft or trick. Pretending to be with him now diminishes his death and, as a consequence, the preciousness of his life. Refusing temptation, Gonzo is bereaved twice. However, he knows what to do. After the news had been imparted and everyone cried, which was awful, there was the conversation. Old man Lubitsch took Gonzo on a long walk, perhaps the longest walk they have ever been on together, longer even than the time they went to the very top of Agadeen Bluff to look at the sea and stare into the mansion, through its grimy windows at the ghostly tented furniture in solemn rooms. Gonzo's father told his son to grieve without reservation or embarrassment until he could grieve solemnly and inwardly, and then finally to hang up his tears and wear them only occasionally, as befits true men of the heart. Grief is not a thing to be ashamed of or suppressed, he told Gonzo, nor yet is it a thing to cherish. Feel it, inhabit it, and leave it behind. It is right, but it is not the end. Old man Lubitsch could barely bring himself to say the last word aloud. Gonzo considered this, and then announced that he had some questions, but that he didn't want to ask silly questions or bad questions, and he didn't know which ones these might be. Old man Lubitsch said that there were no questions Gonzo could not ask here with his father at such a time. So Gonzo unburdened himself of the key issues arising from the matter in no particular order. Why did someone kill Marcus? Would they now kill Gonzo? How would Gonzo, without Marcus, play various games they had played together? Could Gonzo have Marcus's enormous hat with antlers on? Should Gonzo dedicate himself forthwith to the speedy eradication of those responsible by deed, accident, or omission for Marcus's death. If he did so, would he still have to hand in homework? Who would walk with Gonzo to school? Would Mar Lubitsch make him a new brother? Please, could it not be a sister? Was Mar all right? Did what had happened to Marcus hurt a very great deal? Was it Gonzo's fault at all? Did Gonzo's parents still love him, even if it was? Would there be cake at dinner this evening? Was Marcus in heaven, as the evangelist asserted, or was it possible he was haunting the Lubitsch house and looking after them all, for now and evermore? And had Marcus, as he had at one time intimated he might, 
purchased a puppy for Gonzo, and would the puppy still arrive, or was it in some way made moot by the death of its sponsor? Was Gonzo's father all right too? And old man Lubitsch replied that these were, for the most part, excellent questions. He answered them at some length with considerable patience and exactness, so that it emerged that Gonzo, much loved younger son, might well eat cake, was not responsible, must indeed continue to go to school, would not get another brother or alas, a puppy, but was on the plus side, not in danger of being shot, need not give his life over to the business of horrible revenge, and could indeed have Marcus's hat. The question, why, old man Lubitsch deferred to another day, along with the discussion of pain and mortality, to which he professed himself at this moment unequal, saying that he did not know for certain and would therefore be required by the dialogue to speculate on Marcus's feelings at the instant of his death. And to these good answers he added that none of them would ever be able to replace Marcus and should never seek to do so, but that Gonzo must, while knowing that, and like all of them, try to make new friends. Gonzo stares across the sand pit. It is a wasteland. He can see no one he wants to play with. If he cannot find a friend, he will start to cry again. His grief will catch up with him. It stalks him, jumps on him in idle moments. Gonzo already has puffy cheeks and raw red eyes. Hurriedly, he takes his father's advice. He makes a new friend. A boy, of course, his own age. Smaller, as alone as he is. Someone to share his burdens, racked, as children can be for no discreet reason, with dreadful sadness. Cautious, as Marcus urged Gonzo to be from time to time, in curious contradiction of his own bold, careless fate. Someone to watch Gonzo's back. We settle down to play, and it emerges that I am not quite as good at this as he is, but good enough to keep him on his toes. In fact, this is almost definitive of me. In all the areas where Gonzo wishes to excel, I am just close enough behind to push him harder. In those he chooses to ignore, I am often quite talented. I am his foil, his sidekick, his Jiminy Cricket, someone who will always take the blame, carry the can, own up, speak the truth, pay attention in class, a repository for dull virtues and a haven in times of trouble, judicious, clever and sensible where he is headlong, intuitive and rash. Gonzo splits himself down the middle and knows that he will never be alone again. This sand pit is not where we met. It is where I was born, or rather made. I am Gonzo's invisible companion, his friend in adversity, co-conspirator in mischief, refuge in dismay, inseparable 
complimentary. We made our way and fought each other's battles and offered a shoulder to cry on or a word of advice in difficult times. I am the man he chose at every turn not to be, though sometimes he pillaged me for aid and assistance when sheer bravado and brilliant improvisation were not enough. And it occurs to me, how is this different from how it was a week ago? Everything I remember is true, except for the very edges of Gonzo's imagined history of me, like the house on Agadine Bluff and the parents I never had. And everything is false. And Leah, Leah is true too, up to a point. But I won her for Gonzo, it seems, and if I am honest, he saw her first, proposed to her while I was unconscious, a truly headlong moment. And maybe she loved him before she loved me. It must have come as a terrible shock to him to turn and find me there beside him in Station Nine, the secret keeper of his dreams made real, his minority opinions given life. You don't expect to have to compete with yourself quite so directly, and yet that was the first time we had ever been in full agreement. Protect Jim. Do the job. Save the world. The moment when it happened, that ghastly blink and everything gone awry. Cold, terrible liquid rained down on us, demanding instruction, finding Gonzo's fractured noosphere, his revisions and indecisions resolved by never making a serious choice. Whichever option he did not like, he gave away. On one side, the hero, the fearless man of action. On the other, me. Second fiddle, weedy sidekick, junior scout, and every so often, older, wiser head. We were deluged together in the raw, unbalanced stuff of the universe. Inevitable consequence? My own little reification. I was made flesh, and in the process taken from him. I was never supposed to be real. How terrifying to confide your every doubt to an imaginary companion, to bequeath to him every alternative, and then one day to turn and see him standing before you. Gonzo must be feeling so hollow inside, with me spun out and separated from him. It must be quiet and empty in there. And that, of course, is how I survived being shot. Freshly minted, knew I wasn't real enough to die. I have fallen to my knees rather self-consciously because it seemed appropriate. Now I am wondering why. The sand is giving up its dew to my trousers, and some of it has filtered through the fabric and is making my skin itch. I wonder whether there are sand mites. The teenagers are watching with great interest. In the narrative logic of men collapsing to the ground in transports of horror, I should now throw back my head and scream at the top of my voice, a bellowing of pain and inconsolable rage. 
They peer at me with hopeful anticipation.